this morning, and Paul gives us some encouragement of the riches that we have in Christ. And I appreciate, as Tom was getting ready to read the uh, passage this morning from Ephesians, him pointing out the mystery aspect of what Paul was saying. The mystery there that Paul was referring to was the mystery that the Jews and the Gentiles were united in the gospel together. And Paul is going to talk about in Colossians now a mystery that's a little more broad in focus. At the same time, something that is worthy of our commitment and brings us great hope. It is, it is our hope. This mystery that has been revealed, and we're going to see the riches of the glorious mystery this morning as we look at Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. Uh, just so you're aware of what I'm thinking of in the future as well, we're going to continue on in this study of Psalm 89 uh, tonight and next week, because um, I think it has value, and I think it's one of the texts that Paul had in mind as he was writing Colossians. And it also ties in with our study of David. And then, Lord willing, I'm planning on starting a series on Revelation, the book of Revelation, over Sunday mornings, and continuing to actions in the evening. So certainly timely, right, as we consider these things together. But Colossians chapter 1, that's where we are this morning. And remember, in verses 17 through 20, Paul launched into this very profound, beautiful description of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And through it, he described the superiority, his preeminence, his surpassing greatness, and gave the details also as well of what that means for us. The, the direct application of the beauty of that realization of all that Jesus is, our creator, our reconciler, and so much more. Um, go back and read that again sometime soon. I would encourage you so you can get again the context of, of why Paul ministers and toils in the way that he does because of all that Christ is. And he gave the details of what this means for us. We were formerly hostile to God. We were enemies, right? And he has reconciled us to God. Jesus provided reconciliation. And then as we finished up the passage last week, Paul reminds us that he as well is reconciled to God. Talk about a former enemy of Christians. Paul uh, could be tops on people's list, even though we were all hostile and the enemy of God. And Paul has benefited himself. And then was given, as we're going to see in this passage, verses 24 through 29 today, a very special, unique commission for service that would benefit the whole church from its start. And many times we don't think about this, but to um, its state today, its current state. You see, guys, Paul wasn't just an apostle for the early church. Really, you could say he's our apostle, too. He's still in his leadership. He wrote these scriptures. The Holy Spirit led him. Paul is still having ministry with the church today. We don't need, uh, there's, there's some organizations that like to bring up new apostles and call their leaders apostles. I don't think that's as common today as it used to be, but they're still out there. Folks, we don't need any new apostles. Apostle Paul is doing just fine, and he still leads 
for us today. And we're going to see what that unique leadership, a little bit of what that entailed today as he continues on. Part of Paul's war ministry was to warn churches of false teaching and concerns that would distract them from the truths of the gospel. And that's what he's going to be doing for the people of the Church of Colossae. Now, again, we don't know the particulars. We don't, we're not given as many of the details of what this false teaching was. We know there was a false teaching. He's going to refer to it even later on. But it seems to be some kind of focus on other spiritual experiences apart from Christ. And we've already mentioned, maybe including an inordinate attention to angels and spiritual beings, um, a preoccupation with these things that God really hasn't given us a lot of information about. We've looked, we briefly discussed some of the uh, information that God has given us about angels in his word. But he hasn't given us that information for us as well to be distracted and spend all of our time wondering about these spiritual beings. Paul made it clear that the main thing we need to be focused on in that regard is that Jesus is superior to them all. And they serve at his pleasure. I remember reading many years ago, when they, I guess when they first came out, were recommended to me, uh, a series of books of this present darkness. And uh, another book, and the author's name just escaped me. Um, Frank Freddy. Thank you. Thank you, Frank Freddy. Um, and it was recommended to me by some friends, some believers and Christians, and it was all about spiritual warfare. And it really was, it really did make for interesting reading. The guy is a very um, astute, he's a very effective writer. Um, I'm saying that I recommend all of that to you. Um, I think many of, he writes fiction from a somewhat Christian perspective. His earlier novels were more of a Christian perspective than some of his later ones, and his theology is questionable in some regards. But these books were helpful in pointing people to the need that there was spiritual warfare and the need for prayer to battle these forces, these spiritual forces. But as I was reading this, there was another thing as well, and I think this was part because the author was trying to create such an interesting environment and write such a dramatic story that would bring readers in. It almost felt like it was overwhelming um, the emphasis on the evil spiritual forces and that they almost had too much power and then at the very end you know it makes it for a dramatic reading um god comes in and gives the victory to the people as they're fighting these demonic demonic forces but my point is even in reading that as effective as those books were it still gave the opinion that these evil forces had more power than really what scripture even gives them that was kind of concern about that. And that is a concern that we need to, to share because in the end, the main thing is not to have an inordinate of, um, attention to these beings, but to remember that Christ is superior to them all. And our focus should be on him. And that's what Paul is pointing us to. It's through Jesus that we receive all the riches of the glorious mystery. Folks, this passage addresses a weakness that we all have in one form or another. And that is that we tend to be distracted by temporary riches, by temporary pleasures on an almost daily basis. 
And we can get so distracted by those that they become pursuits. Now, the world pursues after all kinds of temporary pleasures of this world, thinking that somehow they're going to bring ultimate satisfaction. But they're more like a candy bar. They're a quick fix. And then you suffer the consequences of going after those things. And we all need a reminder that there's something much more wonderful to spend our time and resources in. And that is a ministry for Jesus Christ because the riches are eternal. And this passage is going to remind us of that. Our weakness, our sin tendency to focus on lesser pleasures, to give all of our time toward things of lesser value. And right in front of us, we have these riches of this glorious mystery of Christ in us that really Jesus deserves because he gives us these all of our attention. Be looking for that as we continue. Let's read 24 through 29, and then we'll pray and continue further. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Father, let us... Be reminded today of our tendency to pursue lesser things at the expense of the greatest things. And that is ministry through your strength and your power for you to a world that desperately needs you, that needs the proclamation that they can have relationship with Christ and abide in him through faith in him. Father, help us to be reminded um, and convicted of the distractions that we have in our lives, of the pursuits that we have that are less than this, and to have better focus on the most important <clears throat> pursuit that we can have, and that it is the most valuable, and that you provide the best things through it, the riches of our relationship with Christ. Let us be motivated today to pursue that in an even greater capacity through this passage today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The riches of the glorious mystery. And first of all, in the first three verses, we'll see the riches. These riches are worthy of our suffering. And they are worthy of the suffering of the church. And in this first verse, Paul makes some strange statements at this point. First of all, at the very beginning, he says he rejoices in sufferings, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Well, that doesn't sound like something that we normally look forward or get excited about. All right, what's well, suffering coming my way? I can't wait for that. And it almost sounds like Paul, as he's describing this, almost has that um, mindset. How can he be excited about this? Well, remember the context, folks. Paul can actually joy in his sufferings. Because of his love for the church. He loves the church and the ministry and those folks so much that he rejoices in the opportunity 
to suffer for them. How does he suffer? Well, we'll look at that in just a minute. But also his knowledge of the values of his relationship with Jesus Christ continue to motivate him. Christ had to suffer. We will have to suffer too. We'll see again that in a minute. But he is suffering here for a specific reason, and that is for the sake of the church. And then Paul uses a unique set of words here as he continues that have been misconstrued by many. And unfortunately, it's another one of these things that taken out of context has resulted in, in heresy throughout church history. And it does sound strange if we read this from a first-time perspective. Look at what he says at the end of verse 24. He states, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Now let's look at this piece by piece. First of all, he says, in my flesh. Well, Paul is obviously talking here. He's describing real physical affliction that he had to endure. Read the book of Acts, and you'll just get a, a, even a tiny picture of what Paul endured, endured. Stoning, shipwreck, um, cursing, all of, all of these things. Paul endured, certainly, physical suffering as a result of his ministry. And as we continue to read through this, it's also apparent that Paul has a unique suffering role connected to Jesus' sufferings on behalf of the church. That is a unique role that Jesus had given to Paul, that he would suffer for the benefit of Christ's body, that is the church. I think that's very apparent. But the problem is, what gives some, so what can be confusing is the phrase, filling up what is lacking. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Wait a minute. Is Paul saying in some way that he is having to literally make up for a deficiency of Jesus' sufferings and his atoning sacrifice? Well, that would contradict what Paul has already said in his word earlier in Colossians and in his other writings. Paul has made clear that Jesus in his sacrifice has been made fully sufficient, all that we need. It's all that we need for new life, for forgiveness of sins, to be reconciled with God. So, again, we have to be careful. Folks, this is what cults do. They pull one verse out of context, use it to support their wrong theories, and then pull in people because, oh, it's Bible. We have to remember context. That can't be what Paul's saying because that contradicts too much Scripture, stating the full sufficiency of Jesus' work. We must be fully convinced that Jesus' work is fully sufficient for us. God's Word is clear, folks. We don't need anything else besides Jesus' work and the power of his resurrection to provide us new life. That's all we need. So no, it can't be that Paul is referring to that. It'd be heresy to stay, say so. So I won't say it from this pulpit, certainly. But what is he saying? Well, here's one thing that we need to understand is that word, the Greek word for Christ's afflictions, afflictions is slips, is, can be pronounced flipsis. And it's never used in Scripture for Jesus' sufferings on the cross. It's never used for his sufferings of his atonement. But rather, it is used often, even in Paul's writings, for the sufferings that Jesus' followers must share 
with him in their relationship of identification with him. That as we identify, and even baptism is a picture of this, as cleansing of sin, we identify with Christ. If we identify with Jesus' resurrection, then folks, the other side of that is we're also going to identify with Jesus' sufferings. As Jesus suffered in this life, so will we suffer in this life. It's built into the expectations of God's work in our lives. Now, that shouldn't be strange to you, but let me give you some other passages of Scripture that help us understand that really what Paul is talking about here is not that he's filling up a lacking in Christ's atoning sacrifice, but that he is continuing with the set with the ordained sufferings that God has given him because of his relationship with Christ for the sake of his body. Turn quick. We're just going to look at a number of passages quickly here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, first of all, and then find chapter 4. These are important for us to understand the full context of what Paul's saying. He's saying it in a unique way here in Colossians. He says it in other ways in books like 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 5 through 6. Here is the language of sharing in Christ's sufferings. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so Christ, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Turn uh, just a couple chapters over, chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death isn't working us, but life in you. Paul is describing his own unique ministry here of suffering for the benefit of the church. Both of these passages point to the fact that God's people and identifying with Christ have a certain amount of sufferings that God has ordained for our lives and that we are, uh, Paul certainly, is filling those um, experiences that God has ordained for him. There's that word of filling up. In Colossians. If you're still not convinced, that kind of describes Paul's reason for suffering, but we have purposes. There's purposes for our suffering as well. I'll just read to you these because I think you know them well. Matthew 24, 4 through 6. Jesus said himself, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Troubling situations have to come in this life. There are, God has ordained them for us. Suffering is ordained. A certain amount of suffering is ordained for each of us. One day Jesus will come and alleviate and take us away from all of that. Praise the Lord. We look forward to that. But each of us have our own quota 
that God has ordained the sufferings that we fill up what is lacking in Paul's words there. How about Peter? Peter's very clear that believers will suffer, right? First Peter 4, 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. This sounds just like Paul. Insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We share in Christ's sufferings on this earth. But at the same time, friends, we will identify fully with his new life for all eternity. And Paul is pointing out here in this, in this life, because of the seriousness and the importance of ministry for Christ, that he has to endure some suffering, we will have to endure some suffering, but that Paul is suffering specifically for the church. All that Paul went through benefited the church. It benefits us today. He's our apostle today. We read his writings and realize that the suffering that he went through benefits the church back then. It benefits us today because it prepared him and it enabled him to write and um, do the work of the Holy Spirit, lead and direct, and he is a gift to the church. Paul does not, and, and Paul then can say, I joy in my sufferings. I know God has ordained them. There's a quota that I have to go through, and I do that because the ministry is so important, my love of the church, and because of the riches that I have in Christ. And whatever you're going through for Christ today, folks, there is an end to it. And it's worth it. And it ought to be, what, what's your motivation through going through difficulties because of the name of Christ? Because of what he'll one day give back to us. The riches of the mystery. We'll see that in just a minute. The riches are worthy of our suffering. And how do we know that? Well, they are. We, we can suffer because they have been revealed to us, to the saints of the church. Continue to look at 25, as Paul now describes his unique ministry role in a little more detail in regards to the church. And he says that he, in verse 25, became a minister. Interesting, that's a Greek word, diakonos. Paul describes himself, you could say, as a deacon. Well, that doesn't sound right. Wait a minute. Paul wasn't supposed to be a pastor. Didn't the, didn't the apostles in Acts say that we picked out deacons so that we wouldn't have to kind of do their ministry work and we could be focused on our own? Well, Paul uses this word in a more general sense, and it just means really servants, to serve. Paul says, verse 25, of which I became a minister, one that serves the church in Jesus Christ, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He is a steward of God. This is a special word that really means a household administrator, one who is commissioned for a special role in overseeing the property of another. Well, why would he use that description for this unique role? Well, I think what Paul's describing here, he's saying, I have access to the riches of the master to accomplish his task that he's given me of unique leadership and revelation. Paul had much. We saw in Ephesians, as Tom read that, that Paul revealed the mystery. Paul's going to reveal the mystery again in just a minute. 
and he had a special role of authority and ability. Only just a few that had the uh, marvelous opportunity to write scripture, right? And Paul was one of those. And it is of benefit to us. And that was because of this unique role as a household administrator of the riches of God. He's the apostle to the early church. He's our apostle today. And of course, the contributions to scripture made known Christ and makes known Christ today to us and directed God's people toward active growth. And that's what he means at the end there. His commission, his stewardship was to make the word of God fully known. That's not just that uh, little kid, that lots of little children in the early church memorized their Bible verses really well. We made known, uh, although there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, and we, we want to encourage that. When it says here, made known, it's in the full sense of that the church understands, knows God's word, and is actively practicing it. If you know it well, you're able to practice it. And doesn't this then go right back into the theme of wisdom that we've been talking about for uh, many months now? The ability to apply God's word. If God's word is fully known in your life, then we will be able to see it. We'll be able to see the outworkings of God's word. And Paul says, I have this glorious opportunity to, in a unique way, teach the word of God and see his power work in among you. And hear of it, because remember, he never actually visited this church before in Colossae. He knows some of the members there that are dear friends, Epaphras, Philemon, and some others. And yet he still has, even in the churches that he's never been to, the church of Rome, the church in Colossae, he has a special role for them. And that is helping, making known the word of God to all the saints. So this is Paul's wonderful opportunity. He describes in more detail, verse 26, that the, what he is describing, what he is making known to the people was a ministry for a long time. Or, excuse me, the, a mystery. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to all of his saints. Paul's special commission was to help reveal this mystery to the saints of the church that was never fully revealed to the Old Testament saints. That doesn't mean that there weren't passages, that there weren't connections to the um, content of the mystery that Paul is about to reveal, that there weren't threads within the Old Testament, within the prophets. There were things that pointed to this revelation that Paul is about to give. And it wasn't as if they were totally without understanding. Remember, um, the Bible makes it clear that the Old Testament saints had a responsibility to understand God's word about the Messiah. But folks, what we understand, they did not have the full understanding that we have now, that we're blessed with as believers of, we could say, the New Testament era, of the New Covenant. They had their understanding um, veiled. But now Paul has the marvelous privilege of revealing. What is that mystery to the saints of the church, to the members of the church? And remember, and, and let's be clear. Paul is now, in talking about his ministry, not just talking to about just the people of Colossae. 
He's talking about his ministry to the universal church here. All of the church has benefited uniquely from Paul's role in revealing the mystery. What is that? Verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God chose us. Folks, we could have, God could have chose us to be, um, to live in Old Testament times, to live in that era. And yet we are uniquely blessed. We, we think a lot of times of the times that we live in now is that are oppressive and dark. And oh, if we could have only lived in a time where there was more light and people understood God's principles. Well, let's, let's just be thankful for where God sovereignly has put us. We could have lived back in Old Testament times without the glorious full understanding of the mystery of the gospel. That's Jesus Christ. But we are blessed to them God chose to make known. He is blessed to make known through the ministry of Paul and others how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And he does touch on the fact that Gentiles do um, they um, do benefit from the mystery, from, from the gospel message. But in Ephesians, Paul said that the mystery was that the Jews and the Gentiles are brought together as the church and unified through the gospel. Paul is not having that same, quite that same um, focus in this passage, although he still admits that the Gentiles will benefit from the riches of the glory of this mystery because the Colossi church are Gentiles. But we know there's no Jews at all. They're all Gentiles. So, of course, Paul wants to emphasize the fact that this church will benefit. But what is the mystery here? Well, it's much more broad and glorious, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery revealed is that we can have personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that he provides the hope of glory. That's the hope of what we look forward to one day. The new heaven, the new earth, the glorification of ourselves, the new bodies. All of that is the new hope that we look forward to. And we understand that, folks, in a way that God's people for thousands of years in the Old Testament could never fully comprehend or understand. And Paul says, isn't, isn't it fun sometimes when you get to be in on the secret? Um, yesterday. Luke had the wonderful opportunity, and he'd be glad to give you more details uh, of hunting with Bill. Appreciate Bill's uh, taking him out to, to hunt for the first time for deer out on their property. And uh, Luke surprised us by getting a shot off real early because uh, the deer had appeared at a time early on that we weren't expecting it. Um, so we were all able to go out with Luke. They came back in for breakfast. They, they found a, a blood trail after his shot. Um, and uh, they came in for breakfast, and then we were all, Pam, myself, and, and Bill, able to go back out with him and watch him as he followed the, the blood trail, that hopefully what, what was a deer. And I saw the deer ahead before, because I was looking ahead like, this crazy thing, I mean, we're calling this, but he's got to be close, and then I saw him, and I turned to Pam, and I said, look, and she's like, shh, he doesn't know yet. Like, oh, oh, so I got the video out, and I'm video, I'm, I'm video with my phone him, and Luke had no idea of the riches of what he was about to stumble upon, but we did. And it was fun because we got to actually be a part of presenting 
you know, the mystery to him was that I really, you know, did I kill the deer? Did, did, did I get to tag him and bring him home? He didn't know, but we did. And literally on the video, you can see he gets right up because he was so focused like a detective, like following his magnifying glass, a different trail. And he was literally almost tripped over with the deer in the end. And finally he looked, oh, there it is. And it was just, it was so much fun because we were all in on it. But we got to present the, the riches we knew about ahead of time and help present that. Well, in a greater sense, folks, Paul gets to present the riches of Christ to all to the to the church from that time to us today. Of course, he's joyful and gives all of his time for that wonderful purpose. And the riches he's going to point out here are worthy of our commitment. They're worthy of his commitment, and he gives all of his time for that because they consist of the eternal hope in Christ. What is entails in this mystery that Christ is in us? He can abide in us. We have new life and all the implications of eternal glory. You could, I could go on for a long time about all the things that we receive in Christ, right? Paul just kind of summarizes it in one state. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But it'd be wonderful, maybe if you should, we should do this again sometime soon and just list. You do that today. Go through God's word, go through Romans, go through the, the, the works of Paul as he reveals this mystery and remind ourselves of all the blessings of what it means to be in Christ. New life, the adoption, the inheritance, um, forgiveness of sin. There's a long list, folks, and it's a whole lot better than spending your money on something temporary, even a new iPad or a new iPhone or whatever we get distracted by as far as the riches of this world. The riches that we have in Christ are so superior to anything we have here, and we many times fail to spend the amount of time that we should in ministry because we're so focused on the inferior things of the riches of this world. Paul says, not me. I'm focused on the things that count for eternity, the hope of glory. In him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's calling was to proclaim the riches of the glorious mystery of our relationship with Christ. And that word in verse 28, him we proclaim, that was Paul's lifeblood, his goal. And that word for warning everyone could also be used. Some translations say admonish, admonishment. That's a word that's uh, in Greek pronounced nutheo. It's used many times in Christian counseling, and it means to impart understanding. I'm quoting from a dictionary here, a helpful dictionary I found, to set right, to lay in the heart. The stress is on influencing not merely the intellect, we already mentioned this, but the will and the disposition, not just knowledge, but the workings out of that actively in our lives. The word thus acquires such senses as to admonish, to warn, to remind, and to correct. The idea is not of punishment, but of a moral appeal that leads to amendment. This is a wonderful word that Paul's using here that's basically saying redirecting and passionately pleading with people 
to correct their direction and follow after God's word. Folks, that is a worthy goal of all of us. It's certainly a worthy goal of the leadership here and of myself as your pastor. Every week, Sunday, and even on Wednesdays, I get up and I explain God's word. And the desire is to help you and to warn, to admonish you, to follow after, to, to correct course, that you follow the correct course. Follow after Christ and teaching. That is, then is the basic word for teaching God's word, everyone with all wisdom. There's our word wisdom. Paul's not satisfied with just revealing the mystery of Christ, but he wants to see the powerful work done in their lives and them living it out practically in wisdom, as he says here. He'll admonish, he'll teach, he'll do whatever he has to do to present everyone mature, or that word really is teleos, complete in Christ. Paul knows that he's not going to perfect, that he's not going to see these people be perfected in this life. But if I can put it this way, he wants to see them get as close as they can to it until Jesus returns and Jesus glorifies us and truly perfects us. So in this, Paul isn't trying to perfect people, but he is trying to help them become blameless. That they're so walking in wisdom from their knowledge of God that they gain through their relationship with Christ, that they're walking blamelessly, that they're growing in maturity in Christ. That is his overwhelming goal. That is one of some of the riches of a relationship with Christ. Does that have as much meaning for us today? Is that one of the things that excites us is to see each other growing in Christ? Or do we even notice it because we're so distracted by so many other things, lesser things that we get involved with, lesser riches that we miss the opportunity to help each other to grow? And Paul says, I'm not going to miss out on that. And look at these words in verse 29. He said, this is my heartbeat. This is what I give my all toward. This I toil. I work hard. I struggle. I give my all. To let, so that people, the, the mystery of a relationship with Christ may be proclaimed and people may be changed and made ready to meet Jesus Christ one day. That's my lifeblood. That's my, that's my heartbeat. And I give my all. Those marvelous words of hard work. But even though we read those, that might be a little disturbing because it sounds like Paul's putting in all the effort. And that really those words do uh, describe him giving his all, all of his effort, but then he reminds us, in case we misunderstand, I'm struggling, I'm giving all my effort, but with his. It's not my energy, Paul says, it's the energy, and isn't interesting that he uses that. He toils, but with God's energy, not his own, and he powerfully works within me. Paul gives his all and relies on the power of God. To do the work. That may seem like a contradiction, folks, but isn't it glorious that the Lord allows us to contribute, to work with him in a way that it, it, it's hard even to explain, but yet we need to toil and struggle and to be dedicated to giving our alls to let people know of the glorious riches that we will all experience that are far better than the things that people pursue today. We need to give our all for that. But at the same time, realizing, God, I can't do any of this without your help. 
Give me your energy. My own energy is insufficient. Your energy is all powerful to enable to this work within me. And so as we finish this passage this morning, I think the simple question really is, where do you find your joy? We know where Paul finds his joy. We know what he gives all of his time to do. Do we joy in the call of proclaiming the glorious mystery of Christ in us? I was trying to think of a way to describe further this joy because it still sounds kind of alien to us. And I think I found a way. Thinking of the joy, even in how we use our money many times. Uh, we can use our money to bring a quick emotional fix, whether it's even going out, buying a donut, a cup of coffee, or quickly doing the Amazon uh, quick purchase, uh, something that we've been wanting for a while and just clicking at it. Oh, I did that. And then you look forward to the box coming in and all that. And those are, those are ways that we rejoice. Those are quick ways that, that bring a surge of excitement. And then after that, you know, it breaks two days later and then you're bummed again. You, know, you have the downside of that sugar rush and then you're feeling kind of tired and, and worn out afterwards from, from all of that. All of those things in and of themselves, folks, aren't bad. But the type of joy that we're, but when we're relying on that, those exciting moments that don't last, and we give our lives to those things, that's where we're wrong. That's where we need to change. It's more like the long-term investment satisfaction of something where we put our money into it, we wait, and we check from time to time, we see our financial investments, and it's not as exciting as that quick spending and that quick moment of enjoyment, but over a long period of time, we know that they are going to be for our benefit, those funds in those different financial savings accounts or whatever, and we wait and we have that um, confident contentment that that money is there and it's going to be able to be used, it's growing, it's beneficial for something for our future, rather than those quick purchases that only bring a little bit of money at that time. If I can describe it in that way, that's kind of the difference here, is that we spend all of our time in quick fix, quick sugar highs, purchases in life, and we spend all our time focused on that. And we need to be focused on a long-term investment, the satisfaction of investment of spiritual riches. That comes from proclaiming Christ. It's a different type of joy, but it's lasting. It's much more beneficial and helpful. That's the type of joy that Paul experiences. And that's the type of joy that he calls us to. Is it worth all of our time and effort? I think Paul answered that for us. It certainly is. Father, thank you. For this picture of the mystery of the glorious riches, the, the riches of Christ in us. And as Paul had this unique role in proclaiming him, and he was in on the surprise as he revealed these things, we as well, not in the same exact way that Paul gets to, we still have the glorious responsibility of proclaiming a relationship of Christ in us, in all of the riches that that pertains, the hope, the confident hope that we have, that we expect and know we will one, will one day be revealed to us. 
our full inheritance that we have as a result of our relationship with Christ. We will experience that one day. Lord, let us focus on those eternal riches rather than always be distracted by the little things, whether it be our daily responsibilities or um, purchases on things that we want or, or other things that may be worthy of our time, but they're not worthy of our full ultimate focus. Let us first of all be focused on our riches, eternal riches. And let that motivate us, even through sufferings, even through hard work, that we will gain those things and we can see others growing and point them to Christ and they can rejoice in those riches as well. As well. Lord, help us to shift our focus on a daily basis to the spiritual riches that are offered every day through you. And let that be our contentment and our motivation when we go through hard things. We need your help for that. And we ask for it in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.